0: How about I pray and uh, we will get on with uh, this morning's message, let me pray. Most gracious Father, we thank you again that we can gather this morning. Uh, We thank you that you are not a distant or remote God, uh, Father, but a God who is interested, a God who is concerned, a God that we uh, can come uh, to and pray and talk to and listen, sing to. Uh, Father, we thank you for that. Father, we pray right now as we open your Word, uh, that your Spirit, your Holy Spirit that lives in us, uh, your Holy Spirit that is here this morning would just uh, settle our minds, our hearts, any distractions. Uh, Lord, that your Spirit would uh, open our hearts and minds to what you want us to, to learn, to hear, to receive, to apply. Uh, Father, I really pray that that would happen this morning and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning uh, we are starting a new series. Uh, last few weeks we looked at uh, some Proverbs and uh, last week we looked at the sluggard. Um, I had the worst week last week, I was just a sluggard after preaching that sermon, I just wanted to be a sloth and uh, eat at McDonald's and that, uh, so it was really life-changing for me. But now we're moving into a new series, Encounters with Jesus, and, and throughout uh, the Gospels we see uh, these incredible encounters that, that Jesus has with different people. But Jesus is uh, there for the masses, and you see the 5,000 and plus and how he's communicating and connect, but also the individual He's concerned f- for the individual as well. And we see these incredible personal moments that Jesus has with different people. And often uh, when we're reading these stories that the people actually that Jesus has these individual and personal moments with were actually probably considered the people on the, 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 the fringe of society, uh, the outskirts of society. Probably people that weren't necessarily cool or trendy or popular but actually on the fringe. And Jesus has these personable and deep profound moments with them. And so this morning, we're going to start looking, we're going to look at probably the next two months, right up at Easter, uh, looking at these different encounters. And what I want to encourage you and us to be praying, is that while we read these stories, while we reflect and meditate on these different encounters, that actually we would still have those encounters with Jesus. Because, you know, when we look maybe at your own story, I can remember when I became a Christian, in my bedroom on the edge of my bed with the lights off because it was more spiritual to pray in the dark and 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 i accepted jesus as my personal savior that was an encounter moment with, with jesus there's no doubt about it there was that was an encounter moment but what happens moving there does that mean jesus is no longer part of my life does that mean jesus isn't really interested I, you know i've become a christian i've got my salvation ticket and i'm i'm fine or does god want to interact in my day-to-day lives i believe god wants to interact in our day-to-day lives. And that actually, if our only testimony is our actual testimony of becoming a Christian, we may want to ask ourselves the questions, am I engaging with Jesus on a day-to-day basis? Now, it doesn't mean our in, in stories of encounter have to be incredibly, you know what, it was unbelievable, I prayed for $100 and God gave me a million or, or something, you know, I was healed of this. It, it may be that, but it could be something really simple. There was a bit of bitterness that I was holding on to, towards somebody and God just took it away it may be something like that but let's be praying that we have those encounters in our day today yeah so let's turn to this morning we're going to jump straight into and we're going to be looking and this is one of my favorite uh, stories in the Bible we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 5 around about verse 17 is where we're starting now, Jesus, the context here, Jesus has already done some trips. He's gone up to, uh, to Galilee and he's preached and, and uh, he's, he's quite popular. People are flocking to see Jesus. They want to know about this Jesus. They want to have an encounter with Jesus already. His, his teaching is different. He, he, the way he talks about God is different. He's performing miracles, which is a little bit different as well. And, and people are asking the question, who is Jesus? Even who he claims to be, it's different. And so he's doing this. He hasn't got his disciples by this point, not all his disciples, hasn't got his whole team together, he's got a few together. But already at this point he has upset the the Pharisees, he's upset the the religious teachers, the religious leaders of the day. They're concerned and they want to almost catch him out, they want to snuff this guy out because of the things he's doing, maybe the popularity but also the things that he's saying. And so that's the context of of the story. And so here we are, we pick it up here in verse 17 and and this is what it says. It says, one day as he was teaching, Jesus was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law who had come from every village, Galilee and from Judea and from headquarters, Jerusalem, were sitting there. So already that's a bit of a hint that that Jesus is, is causing a bit of a stir a bit of a storm. The Pharisees, and the religious leaders are coming from everywhere to hear what Jesus is saying and actually we know that there's a sense of active opposition against Jesus. We want to stop this Jesus fella. So they come from uh, Jerusalem, they're sitting there and, and then it says this, and the power of the Lord was present uh, for him to heal the sick. Now, that's a really, really interesting statement. I'm not going to try to explain it because I'm a little bit unsure what that even means in some ways. We know that Jesus is is God, but Jesus is fully human as well. It's this, this deep theological word called the hypostatic union. Did that impress you? It's a really hard word to understand. It's a theological term. But but God is fully, Jesus is fully man, but he's also God, a fully God. He emptied himself as his man. And there's a sense here that he is operating as a human led by the power of the Spirit. Okay, led by the Holy Spirit. It says here that the power of the Lord was present on Jesus to heal the sick. Then the bulk of the story here, some men... Uh, come carrying a paralytic on a mat, a paralyzed man, and try to take him to the house uh, to lay him before Jesus. This account is in Matthew as well as Mark. In Mark it says there was four guys that had a mate who was paralyzed and they wanted to take him to see Jesus. They want their mate to have an encounter with Jesus, probably obviously to be, to be healed so he could walk. They know this Jesus guy heals people, let's take him to Jesus. And so they take him to Jesus. And then it says there, when they get there, verse 9, it says, when they get there, they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd. Again, Jesus has got this... this almost pop star following, people are flocking to Jesus. We read here already that the religious people and the Pharisees have got the best seats in the house. They're sitting around Jesus as he teaches. They're right front and they're taking up all the good seats. In Mark's, I think it says, they're flowing out of the door. There's no room. It's packed because everyone wants to have an encounter with Jesus or everyone wants to hear what Jesus is saying or see what Jesus is doing. These four guys... Want their mate to have an encounter with Jesus. They take him, they have to carry him, okay, to to get him to in front of Jesus. But what happens? It's full. Now, think about it. For most of us, we'd be like, unlucky, we didn't get here early enough. Should have caught the bus or should have done, we should have left half an hour earlier, but we're not getting in. Take him home. Let's try again tomorrow, you know? But they don't. Look what they do. They persist, it says. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. Now, we, we probably know this story and you would have seen this story in kids' ministry and the little pictures. But this is, this is actually incredibly courageous and a step of faith by these guys. And also the guy on the mat. not that he's got much choice, they pick it up, but he's not going to run away. Uh, and, and so they, they climb up, there would have been stairs up to the, the side of the house, onto the roof, and they would have started digging around, there's, there's tiles, clay, and there's dirt, and there's dust. Think of this room. Imagine if, if someone started to dig a hole in this roof here. It's going to start to make some noise, isn't it? And people are starting to look up, and dust is falling on people's heads and dirt, and, and then once they open it up, what, what would shine through? Light, there's no power. They probably had this light, natural light coming in. But light would have come down. It would be like, who is that? The Pharisees, the teachers, even people there, like you're interrupting the show. What's going on up there? But these guys don't care. They want their mate to have an encounter with Jesus. And they'd have to get that hole big enough to fit someone through. So it wasn't like a, they, they made a mess up there. They made a mess up there, they made a heap of noise and then lowering this poor guy down, balancing him down right in front of Jesus. Imagine someone coming right here onto the floor, what would we do? We'd ring the police. There's someone on the roof, what's going on? We would, wouldn't we? And I want to suggest that the reaction of the people there probably would have been similar, maybe not ring the police, but what is going on? Who are these guys? Someone stopped them dust and all that kind of stuff but they persist they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd they went on the roof and they lowered him on his mat through the tiles in the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus here's the first point I want us to, to kind of glean from this text is uh, these guys they do whatever it takes for their mate to have an encounter with Jesus I remember when I wasn't a Christian, I had friends or, or people who, who were Christians, and they did whatever it took for me to have an encounter with Jesus. If that meant picking me up and taking me to different places, or we, I, I became a Christian through, through sports ministry, through playing basketball, and they would take me to training and pick me up, but nothing was too hard. Now they, did it, they were loving, there was nothing wrong, you know, they weren't trying to manipulate me or anything, they just, it was nothing, it was too hard. Why? Because they wanted me to have an encounter with Jesus. These guys are going to do whatever it takes for their mate to have an encounter with Jesus. And maybe you can think and relate to your own story that you had uh, people around your life who did the same thing, they did whatever it took for you to have that encounter with Jesus. And then we ask ourselves the questions, are we doing... Whatever it takes for our friends, for our family members, for our community, for our next door neighbours, for our work colleagues to have an encounter with Jesus. Or is it just too hard? Or we just can't be bothered? Or you just don't understand, they're not, gonna, they don't want, they're not interested. Do we go the extra mile? Do we take them on the roof and remove the tiles? Now it's fair to say that these guys wanted their mate to be healed... But there was faith in their action because they believed that Jesus was the guy that could do it. And their faith and their courage would have had to overcome the ridicule or maybe the torment or the the snickers. the What are you guys doing? And there would have been, just like if someone started to do it here. Who's going to pay for that? What are you guys doing? They would have faced all of that, yet their faith and their courage was stronger, was greater than that ridicule. The, the, the cost also, if this guy doesn't have an encounter of Jesus, he's, he's paralyzed and we'll see more so in the, in the story that his sins won't be forgiven and they saw that the cost was greater than the fact that they would get hounded or they would get ridiculed. Is that true in our lives? Is our faith greater than the ridicule that someone might say, oh you're a crazy Christian or, or we don't believe in that or... Is the cost, what is the cost of us not endeavouring to, to share our faith, to live our faith, to, to do whatever it takes for our friends, family members, neighbours to have an encounter with Jesus, an enormous cost? Is that cost outweigh the, the ridicule that we may get? Most of the time, I think most of the, I've got non-Christian friends who generally aren't too bothered if I ask them about faith stuff or, or even share that they're, just, they're not upset or offended at all. There's, hardly, there's no ridicule. Most of the ridicule actually comes from other Christians, to be honest, not from from non-Christians. They're actually quite interested, especially if you've got a relationship and and it's done in a way of just friendship and relational evangelism. They're interested because they're interested in you. But these guys do whatever it takes. Look at this great quote here by Charles Spurgeon, the, the Baptist minister preacher, who says, when four true hearts are set upon the spiritual good of a sinner, their holy hunger... Will break through stone walls or house roofs there's a holy hunger there's a holy hunger there's a holy hunger where does that holy hunger come from we sung even in that song today build your kingdom that holy hunger comes from from when our relationship with God is just is is, is on fire and, and our connection to the Holy Spirit almost out of the overflow this holy hunger that we don't care we will do whatever it takes for our mates to have an encounter With Jesus let's keep reading in verse 20 and 21 we'll see the response of the people inside the room verse 20 it says when Jesus saw their faith he said who's going to pay for the roof he didn't say that did he he said when Jesus saw their faith he said friend your sins are forgiven your sins are forgiven now he's talking, it's interesting, uh, again, Mark and Matthew say, referred to, actually Mark and Matthew referred to the plural aspect, all of their faith. The guy on the map, but also the four people that brought him. He says, your faith, your faith, all of your faith. Wow. Your faith is incredible that you would do this, that you would go to this length." And that, the reason is that, that even God and Jesus, the only thing that pleases God is what? Faith, our faith that we would have faith. Not how clever we are, not how much money we have, not what kind of car we drive, not how much or how often we go to church or even read our Bible. All those things are good. But the only thing that pleases Him is faith. Is faith. It may be the faith to lower someone through the roof. It may be the, the faith just to, uh, to give some money in the offering. It may be the faith to, to show kindness to someone that you're struggling with. It, it, whatever it is, but to have faith. That's what pleases God. The essential, and we see the essential condition for salvation is what? Faith. The essential condition to be saved is to have faith in Jesus. These guys put their faith in Jesus. Not, they weren't lowering him in front of the Pharisees or the teachers of the law. They were lowering him in front of Jesus. Why? Because they believed that Jesus was different. They believe that Jesus had what it took to, to heal this guy. And then we see Jesus do something that's a little bit different. Jesus says, great faith, incredible faith, but what does he say? Your f- sins are forgiven. Now the guy's thinking, yeah, but what about my legs? The obvious thing is, Jesus, I, 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 don't, I can't walk. I don't know if you noticed, there was no disabled parking. I had to go through the roof. There's an issue here, Jesus. But Jesus sees the greater need, doesn't he? It doesn't mean Jesus do, is not concerned with the physical need. He is, and so should we be. But right here, Jesus sees the greater need, the spiritual condition. Our main problem, all of our problems root for, come from this, this issue of our sin, doesn't it? And so Jesus sees the sin problem and Jesus deals with the greater problem initially. And he says, your sins are forgiven. Jesus begins by dealing with the man's greatest need. What, not what the paralyzed man thought was his greatest need. And everyone would think the same. If that was me, when I get a sore tooth, I'm like, Jesus, heal it, please, heal Here's a poor guy who hasn't walked. Of course he's thinking that's my greatest need. And again, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. He can't walk. He wants his legs back. He wants to be able to move and run. But Jesus sees his greatest needs, and his greatest need is the spiritual aspect that your sins need to be forgiven. And he forgives him for his sins because of his faith. And I want to suggest, even if it's a little bit misguided, because he came to get what? Healed for his sins. Uh, Sorry, healed his legs. He got way more than that. He got something so much more than that salvation through Jesus Christ Jesus says your sins are forgiven we know that it's our sins that separate us from God if you've been coming to church or you 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 know that the aspect of how we've turned our back on God and and in between us and God is this barrier and that's the sin barrier so let's say let's say that's God up there and God is everywhere. let's say God is there and, and we are here and and this is me and and everything my sin is in this book it would be a little bit smaller than that uh actually, probably be a bit bigger, uh, and 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 so that that separates me from God, doesn't it? There's this kind of barrier between. And this isn't a perfect illustration by any means, but just try to. Help. It it separates us from God. There's that sin barrier. We can't get to God, but when Jesus comes, he he he, he we know that he pays the price for sin. That, that he forg- he can forgive sins, and so in many ways he says, "I will forgive. I will take that." wait and now I can have access I can have access to God that barrier is removed only through Jesus and how do we receive that is through faith through faith there's a great story of a tightrope walker his name is Charles Blondin I don't know if you've heard of him here's a picture of him um, he got some skills mad skills he would typerope walk across Niagara Falls from the American side, I think, to the Canadian side. That's, I don't know how far that is. It's uh, 335 metres. Here you go, it's in my notes. Uh, and he, he did this numerous times. He did it blindfolded. He did it once. He went out to the middle and he had like a little gas cooking device and cooked an egg. Uh, and then ate it and then kept moving. I don't know why, but he, he, he did it. Although, mm, that rope's pretty wide, actually. Uh, <laughs> still a bit risky, but he did it. Anyway, he was quite famous, people would come out to watch him. One day he, uh, media came and he's standing at the end of the rope and he says, do you believe that I could walk across this from the American side to the Canadian side, pushing a wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yes, 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 I believe, I believe, I believe. And he says, do you believe this? Do you believe I could stand on here and walk across pushing the wheelbarrow? And everyone's like, yes, yes, we believe, you're the greatest, you're the greatest. And you may have heard the story right at the end. He points to one of the journalists. Do you believe? And he says, I believe you're the best. He says, well, you hop in the wheelbarrow. (laughs) You hop in the wheelbarrow. That's true belief, isn't it? We can say we believe, but are we willing to hop in the wheelbarrow? The story goes, you hopped in the wheelbarrow and he fell midway and died. (laughs) No, that's not the story. (laughs) Does anyone know the end of the story? He didn't actually do the wheelbarrow. The guy said, I'm not hopping in the wheelbarrow but Charles Blondin's manager said okay let's do this but instead of going the wheelbarrow I'll hop on your back I'll hop on your back so he carried him on the I would have probably preferred the wheelbarrow wheelbarrow is like premium economy on the back so you know economy class but anyway he carried him on the back and they had to stop numerous times and he did get over but that's true belief I will hop in the wheelbarrow. And so these guys have this faith of wheelbarrow faith where they say, we believe we will do this. And again, that's what Jesus wants from us, real faith. doesn't mean we're perfect. Not at all. That's the, in fact, that's the whole reason why it's based on faith, because we're not perfect. When we stuff up, we make mistakes. We drop the ball, we submit dis- it. We don't hide it or run. God, I made a mistake. God wants genuine, real faith authentic followers of Jesus. And so uh, he, he says, your faith is great. Your faith is great. Look at these um, response to the Pharisees. We keep reading uh, there it says, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. And, and then the Pharisees who were there, they got the best seats, remember, they're watching. What what are they thinking? It says that they're thinking this to themselves. They're not actually out saying it out loud it says when the Pharisees the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves who is this fellow who speaks speaks blasphemy Uh, who can forgive sins but God alone that word blasphemy I have nightmares about that uh many years ago I preached a whole sermon and I would have said that word 20 times but I kept saying blasphemy and no one said anything except my wife was like (laughs) blasphemy not blasphemy but who is this That's what they're thinking um, to themselves. And and in some ways, again, they're probably thinking, yeah, who's saying this? Because only God can forgive sins. Only God can forgive sins. No one else. Just God. So they're saying, you know, people say that Jesus never claimed to be God. Here is an example where Jesus claims to be God. He doesn't say, I am God. But by saying your sins are forgiven, he is claiming that he is is God. The reaction of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law is evidence that he, they know that he's saying he's God, because only God can forgive sins. And also there's a link here in Jewish thought that um, when someone is, someone is sick uh, or, or has an ailment or disease, it's because they've sinned, because they've sinned or someone in their family has sinned. And that's why they're sick or that's why they've got a problem because they're, they're sinful or someone in their families. Now Jesus pushes against this and says, no, no, you got it wrong here. But they, claim, they know that Jesus is claiming to be God. And this is, again, a question we all have to wrestle with. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? The Pharisees had to wrestle with this. Everyone has to decide who is Jesus. You do. If you, if, you don't, if you think you're not deciding, if you say, oh, whatever, it doesn't matter, you actually are. If you're not for Jesus, you're actually deciding that he isn't who he said he was. And so the, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, are wrestling with this. Even when they see the miracles, they can't bring themselves to think, you know what, this guy is actually maybe who he said he is. They struggle, there's a hardening. But all of us have to decide who is Jesus Lots of different perspectives when it comes to Jesus, isn't there? Lots of different opinions and thoughts. Uh, some people say he's just a, a, a great teacher or a prophet. Some would say he's an incredible man and, uh, who lived a moral life. Uh, some people would say, actually, Jesus is just a myth. But even then, most even atheists, um, strong atheists, believe in a historical Jesus. They don't believe that he's God and they don't believe he performed miracles. But it's very hard to argue against a historical Jesus in the fact that there was a man who lived in Israel 2,000 years ago. Uh, but some people just say, you know what, he's just a good teacher, a, a good moral guide, you can say. And then others will say, well, what does it even matter? All religions are the same, all roads lead to the same thing. But actually, that isn't quite the case, especially when it comes to Jesus. Because most religions and most faiths have a different view or a different opinion on who Jesus is and what role he plays. If you ask someone who's a Jehovah Witness and you say, who is Jesus? Uh, they will say that uh, Jesus is a created being, uh, that he's actually the Archangel Michael. A little bit different to the teaching of what the, our Bible would say. If you ask a Mormon who is Jesus, they would say that he's not eternal God, uh, but a plumeous pl- 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 man who was the half-brother of Lucifer... Uh, okay, that became one of many gods. so they can 't all be the same, can they? If you ask someone who 's a new Ager or someone who, into the New Age movement, lots of different opinions and, and, and views on who Jesus is, uh, many would maybe take the view of one of their main teachers, uh, Deepak Chopra, who 's a new uh, chopper who 's a new age teacher, and this is what he says. He says Jesus uh, we see Jesus as a state of consciousness that we can all aspire to. Scientologists, who are some famous Scientologists? Tom Cruise. Tom Cruise, John Travolta, I can't believe that, off Greece, he was great in that movie. Um, but but that's a, that, what, what's their understanding of Jesus? I don't know what this means. All right, this is a quote from a book by Gary Brashears where he talks about Scientology and they say that Jesus is an implant forced upon a, a Thetan what, not sure what it is, about a million years ago. So I don't know what they're talking about, but they have a view of Jesus. He's an implant force upon a the thetan. Baha'i faith, have you heard of Baha'i? Okay, they're very uh, encompassing of all faiths, uh, but they see Jesus as a manifestation of God, meaning more of a reflection, like a mirror reflection of God, uh, but not fully God. And in fact, they see him as being inferior to Muhammad. Uh, the prophet of Islam, and actually inferior to their prophet, Buhala, which is the prophet of Baha'i. So, yep, he's a manifestation of God, but not as superior as Muhammad or Buhala. Buddhism, uh, they say that Jesus is not God, uh, that Jesus is more like a Buddha himself, an enlightened individual. Hindu religion, lots of views on Jesus. Uh, Hinduism has millions of gods, almost, and so there's two views when it comes to Jesus. One, that he's uh, an enlightened man like Krishna or that he's just one of many, many gods, but not the God or not the superior God. If you ask a Muslim a Muslim person or someone who follows the traditions of Islam about Jesus, now they will say that they believe Jesus. In fact, it's in their holy text, the Quran. It talks about Jesus. It talks about the birth of Jesus. Um, but Jesus is not God. They'll be very clear to say that Jesus is not God, and in fact, they, Jesus was a good man, incredible uh, prophet, but he is not; he's inferior to the prophet Muhammad. Interesting as well, if you were actually to ask uh, a Muslim person, uh, did Jesus sin? He, they will say that Jesus didn't sin. He did Muhammad sin? Yeah, Muhammad sinned. Uh, so that's interesting as well. But So they respect Jesus, they know Jesus, it's in their text, but he's definitely not God and he's inferior to Muhammad. So do all roads lead to the same? No, not when it comes to Jesus. Because Jesus is, is different in all of those, so they can't all be the same. Generally, most people say that Jesus is a good teacher, good moral person, lived a, a reasonable life. Um, we seem to forget he started the largest movement the world has ever seen. So it must have been more than just a good teacher. C.S. Lewis talks about um, that Jesus is either three things when it comes to deciding who Jesus is. One, he's either a lunatic, uh, as in uh, he must be nuts, going around claiming to be God. If anyone come to us today and and said they were God, what would you say they were? A lunatic. A lunatic. So fair call. So so is is Jesus a lunatic? You know, is he crazy? Uh, but then you look at Jesus' teachings, they don't look like the ramblings of someone who's lost it. He talks about love and compassion and mercy and even Western civilization, the, the, the enjoyable and good aspects of that, grew from the teachings of Jesus. So is he a lunatic? If he's not a lunatic, C.S. Lewis said he must be a liar then. As in, he says stuff and he knew it wasn't real, he knew it wasn't true. He knew everything he was saying, he was making up. maybe but you'd have to be a pretty convinced liar to go to the cross if you didn't do anything wrong. You'd have to be a pretty uh, convinced of your own lies to be whipped 40 times, to be beaten, to be spat on, to have the crown of thorns in your head, and then go and be nailed to a cross and be up there. I know we can be stubborn sometimes, but you'd have to be pretty convinced of it, wouldn't you? And then C.S. Lewis goes in, well then obviously if he's not a lunatic or a liar he says he has to be lord you who he he is who he said he is and here's the thing though we all have to decide i can't decide for you your parents can't decide your your spouse your church it's you you have to make that decision on on who you think jesus is the pharisees they're not convinced whether it's pride in their heart but they don't believe that jesus is who he said he is let's keep reading and so we read that that the pharisees were thinking who is this a fellow who speaks blasphemy uh, who can uh, forgive sins but god alone then it says this would have freaked them out i reckon jesus knew what they were thinking and asked why are you thinking these things in your hearts surely that was an indicator uh why are you thinking this why are you saying this which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. Now, it's probably easier in the sense of to say your sins are forgiven. Why is it easier to say your sins are forgiven? No one can verify it. Now, it's easier in the sense of that. It's not easier because the only one that can forgive the sins is Jesus because I can't say your sins are forgiven. Um, But I can, in the sense of no one's going to know or is it easier to say to the guy that can't walk who just got lowered in off the roof, "Get up, mate, and go." Now, if he says "Get up and go" and he, I'm still, mo- I can't move, then Jesus is what, a liar. And so Jesus is saying, "Well, okay, guys, you think you you think you're clever." He says, uh, "What is what's it easier for me to say? Your sins are forgiven, or get up and walk." And also, again, remember the link between uh, physical ailments or disease and sin. He's ticking all the boxes right here in this one. But that you may know that the Son of Man, which is a reference he would refer to himself often, has authority on earth to forgive sin. Who has authority only to forgive sins? God. He says, I have authority. He's claiming to be God. And then he says this, I'd love to have been there for this bit. I'd be like, yes! Yes! where am I? I, missed oh. I said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Now every, get up and take your mat and go home. <laughs> look at that, he's leaving, he's got his mat, he's getting out of here. Okay, <laughs> no worries. The timing of that was excellent. And look what happened, immediately he stood up in front of them took what he had been lying on, so he took his mat, must have been a good mat, uh, and went home praising God. Oh, imagine that, that would have just been awesome. But by doing that, Jesus verifies everything. He verifies the fact that he has the ability to forgive sins, because the guy picked up his mat and walked home, and now these guys are in a bit of a, whoa, what's going on here? And it says that everyone there was amazed and gave praise to God. Whether it was the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, well, it says that everyone, so maybe they did. And it says they were filled with awe. When's the last time you've been filled with awe with an encounter with Jesus? Or has your faith become stale? And it says we have seen remarkable things today. We have seen remarkable things today. Jesus brings the remarkable, doesn't he? Um, I, I, my wife, and I don't want to share her story, it's her story to share, but quick oversight, uh, overview of her story. Um, she grew up in a non-Christian family, similar to me, but a single mum. And uh, her her story is a remarkable story. Uh, she went to a Sunday uh, youth group where they used to pick you up in a bus in Lockridge. You can't pick up kids in a bus anymore. Uh, but the... Panel van, it was a panel van, even worse. Uh, they used to pick up all the kids in Lockridge in a panel van and take them to youth group and they would do games and teach the Bible and, and uh, my, my wife, who was about 10 or 11, her and her brother, they became Christians uh, going to this youth group. Now, went back home, told the mum, what are they teaching you, you know, I don't know about this Jesus stuff. So she says, I need to find out what they're teaching. So she started going to the youth group as well. To hear about Jesus, she becomes a Christian as well. It gets better. This story is incredible. It's a remarkable story. Uh, the The person who was running the youth group was a, a middle aged guy who used to be an alcoholic, who was divorced, split up with his wife, and li- almost died several times. Became a Christian. His life radically transformed to the point where now he's driving a panel van with telling people about Jesus, taking kids to youth group. My wife becomes, she becomes a Christian, brother becomes a Christian, her mum becomes a Christian, she starts dating the youth group leader and now they're married. (laughs) Becomes her stepdad, incredible dad. Uh, What an remarkable story of how Jesus works. Now I'm not encouraging Jason or the youth to start driving panel vans around, picking up kids, but God, it's just a remarkable, if you were to say that would happen to that whole family, incredible, hey? remarkable story. remarkable. God brings the remarkable. Last point that we get from this, and this is a bit challenging maybe, in what ways are we getting in the way of people trying to have an encounter with Jesus? You could probably argue that the Pharisees maybe and the religious teachers and the teachers of the law were actually getting in the way. They took up all the room, didn't they? There was no room in there because all the religious people were wanting to critique this Jesus fella now i 'm not saying that there needs to be there needs to be sound teaching and sound understanding there's all that kind of stuff we need to do that well, but think about it. what ways are we getting in the way of people trying to have an encounter with Jesus? It may be even people in our congregation now with legalism i, I don 't know if I shared this story when I became a Christian. Uh, out at Calmascott Baptist and it was a great church but I, I started going to church and one of the first weeks that I went I wore, the, did I tell you this to her? I wore this shirt, beautiful silk shirt, a little bit Italian but it was nice and it had lots of bright colors and the pastor called me in and said it was too bright for church. No, I kid you not, where's Mark Taylor? He's got, he, he called me in, he called me in and said you probably don't want to wear that shirt to church. I just, I, so I wore a brighter one the week after because I thought, no. Nah. But but like, and again, I don't know if he was being, he was a good man. But that could have stopped me. I don't know. You know, there was nothing in the Bible that says, don't wear a bright shirt to church. But, but it could have stopped me, couldn't it? And so that is, that's an obvious example. But how are we getting, are there ways? And again, it doesn't mean we have to compromise beliefs. We can still be, stand on our beliefs and do those things. But there could be ways that don't even matter that we're actually stopping people from having an encounter with Jesus. One person says, uh, I don't know who said it, uh, it's easy to sit and judge like the Pharisees did, but it's hard to go and bring others to Jesus. It's easy to sit there and criticize, oh, that's no good or that's not working or that's not biblical or you didn't do this or whatever, than actually get out there and try to bring people to Jesus. Are we stumbling blocks or stepping stones? Uh, Last picture, and I think I may have shown you this, but it's a really powerful picture. This was a uh, picture of Federation Square in Melbourne. I think it was 2006 World Cup Soccer, the year Italy won. Uh, (laughs) They're playing Croatia, I think. uh, I'm not sure. Australia was playing Croatia there, I think, and they lost, unfortunately. Um, And it was packed. Big screen. They had a big screen there. And this picture was in one of the local newspapers about this Aussie Aussie ruse, soccer ruse, losing. And I saw it, and that's St. Peter's, I think, or St. Paul's? Anglican church, beautiful church. But I kind of thought, wow, look at the, the symbolism in this was incredible. Here's a group of people, they've all got turned their back on the church. They're not going in that building. Maybe take a photo and look at the architecture. And am not criticising that faith system, by the way. But they've turned their, just in, in regards to the church in Australia, they've turned their back on organised religion. They don't want anything to, really to do with it. You think of the, the the Royal Commission? Rightly so. And they've Australian people have turned their back on it. And then I think about, well, if Jesus was there, he'd be probably going for Italy. Um, or maybe not. But But where would Jesus be? Would he be in there or out amongst the people? Amongst the people, walking, connecting, cheering, having conversations. And so I love this picture. It's a reminder for me. Uh, Yes, we gather and we connect and we have community and we have fellowship and and that needs to be rich and strong and powerful. But then we, we, we scatter and we connect with other people and we reflect the love of Jesus, we do whatever it takes for our friends and and work colleagues and and neighbours to have an encounter with Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen.